Thank you, Miss Martha. <laughs> We're grateful for the Lord and um, the love He puts in our hearts toward one another. So thank you for sharing that. Um, well, it's my joy again to to be with you and and to share the Word of God. And so, one more time, let's look to the Lord as we uh, turn to this season of worship through uh, hearing the preached word. Lord, I ask again for your help today. Help me preach in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that as your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, I pray that your word would speak to us. It would wound us if necessary, Lord, that we may be healed. Uh, That it would change us this morning. As we consider Paul and his gospel, Lord, which he received directly from you, I pray that we would receive it exactly as it is, not a word from man, but a word from God. And may that, Lord, be reflected in our lives, bringing you glory in all that we do. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Well, uh, as the story goes, in 1820, there was a man named Joseph Smith. And uh, he was confused about religion, and uh, he saw the many denominations of his day, and there were many. And as he claims, he received a vision of God the Father and Jesus Christ, who told him all the denominations were wrong, so you should go start a new one, (laughs) if you want to call it that. But a few years later, he claims to have had another vision Uh, where he was directed by an angel to golden plates, which were buried in upstate New York, containing additional scriptures, but he was not allowed to show them to anyone. And over over some time, he translated them by placing his head into a hat, where he read, supposedly, uh, what was inscribed on the plates, what he identified as Reformed Egyptian, And read it to first his wife and then to another man who wrote down what he said, uh, which became uh, the Mormon scriptures, the Book of Mormon. And uh, he gathered a following and started the Mormon church. And that was in the early 1800s. Now the Mormon church has over uh, nearly 16 million members across the world publishing the Book of Mormon and other resources in 188 different languages. So when you hear stories like this, I think it is legitimate to be skeptical of claims, especially the claims of a single individual having received special revelation that no one else has seen, saying that everyone else before them was wrong and we have now rediscovered the truth in that 1,800 years after the fact. Well, in a remarkably different sense, the Apostle Paul's uh, gospel and authority was being challenged 
in the days of the Galatians, just decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we give the Galatians a little benefit of the doubt and say, okay, here's this man who was not associated with the other disciples of Jesus. Um, and, and, and he will say not, uh, did not work closely with them in, in, in many ways. And so, and some people have come into the Galatian church and have questioned Paul's authority, but unlike Joseph Smith, Paul has no problem coming and saying, let me show you how you can know what I say is true. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a Bible uh, and you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as we read from Galatians chapter 1, beginning... In verse 11, Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia And returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The word of God. You may be seated. So today we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's argument here. And before we get started uh, into the real body of what we're going to be getting after, we need to understand Paul's thesis. That is, what's the main point? What's the, what is Paul arguing for what is he trying to prove well we see that in verse 11 i would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel so remember paul had preached the true gospel of grace which he received from jesus to the churches in galatia and then some false teachers had come in judaizers who were adding works to grace saying that if you really want to be saved by God, it's not enough that you just believe in Jesus Christ, but you must become Jewish. You must keep the works of the law. In other words, Christ saves you most of the way, but you also must add your works in order to be saved. And they were undermining Paul's authority. They were accusing him of being subordinate to the other apostles And in essence, they were kind of requiring him to have validation from the other apostles before his message would be accepted. 
And they accused Paul of peddling a soft gospel. We talked about that last week. That Paul, in preaching grace, was preaching a soft gospel to the Gentiles by not requiring them to essentially become Jews. And so these Judaizers come in and said, well, Paul was just kind of pandering to you so that, so that you would follow him. But really, the gospel is a little more complicated than that. You've got to become a Jew, too. But Paul bites back. And the gospel that uh, he proclaims as he is arguing now is that his gospel is decidedly not man's gospel. Paul didn't, wake, Paul didn't just uh, come up with this of his own volition and say, this is what I'm going to preach. Nor did he get it from someone else, but he received it directly from God. And so how do we know then that Paul's gospel is not man's gospel? Four reasons. Number one, an unlikely conversion. And then a gracious calling... An independent message and a compelling testimony. An unlikely conversion, a gracious calling, an independent message and a compelling testimony. First, an unlikely conversion. Verses 12 through 17. Paul says, I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. In order that I might preach the gospel among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that. Paul did not receive his gospel from man or from any man, but he received it directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is, God the Father revealed Christ to Paul on the road uh, to Damascus. And not only that, but we know from uh, other places like 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul received subsequent revelations from God where God basically taught him, showed him things. In other words, he, he was directly taught by Christ the gospel, the, the, the truth of who Christ is and what he has done in the, at the fullness of time to fulfill everything the Old Testament pointed to, to consummate redemptive history, to bring in the new age, And to give the people, to give everyone the hope of eternal life so that those who hope in him will experience the consummation when Christ returns, sin is eradicated, and the kingdom of Christ is fully set up on this earth. Jesus revealed this to Paul. And how do we know that that this is true? How do we know that Paul didn't make it up? How do we know that Uh, He has received personal direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And the first thing that Paul gives uh, is his astounding conversion. Paul's past was undeniable. Anybody in here have a past this morning? Paul was a, a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews. He was relentless in his zeal for Judaism. He, he was a rising Jewish star. Okay, on, on Israel's Got Talent, all right, he was quoting the Torah. Okay, he was every 
Pharisaical Orthodox Jewish woman's uh, dream man, okay? He was a rising Jewish star. The top of his class. And the cherry on top was that he displayed a relentless zeal, not just for Judaism, but, but for the purity of Judaism, such that he felt a personal calling to go persecute and kill and murder Christians. Undoubtedly, he saw himself in the same vein as some of the celebrated uh, heroes in the Old Testament who fought for the purity of Israel. You remember my son Finn is named after uh, Aaron's grandson in Numbers chapter 25 named Phineas. God commanded the Israelites to not mix with the other peoples because it would, they would lead them astray from their God. And a man brings a Midianite woman into the Israelite camp, and Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, takes a spear and pins them both to the ground. That's not a Bible story you read about very often. But what does the Bible say? That Phinehas, as an instrument of God's judgment, averted the wrath because God was pouring out a plague on the people of Israel, killing them because of their sin, and in doing so, God uh, averted the wrath and and stopped the plague that was uh, destroying the people. The point is, is that, is that Paul saw himself in this line of people who were, who was, we were pure, we're, we're pure Jews. We can't tolerate this, this, uh, this Christian uh, false beliefs and idolatry within pure Judaism. That's how committed Paul was to his beliefs. And then one day, on the road to Damascus, One second, this man is breathing out blasphemies and murderous threats against Christians. And the next second, he is proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord. How do you explain that? The answer is that only a vision of Jesus Christ can change a man like that. Paul's evidence that his gospel is not man's gospel is he's saying, Look at my past. How can you explain how it was not Paul did not have a slow conversion. He was literally saved cold turkey. Okay? If you want to put it like that. Literally, he was on his way to kill Christians. And the next second, he was immediately converted. He says, you know my life. There is no, I am not lying to you. There is no other explanation for how I've been changed except what I'm telling you happened. I saw the Lord Jesus and it has changed me. And there's some interesting things we can learn from Paul's conversion. Paul was an orthodox, ultra-conservative, pharisaical, Christian-persecuting Jew when God converted him. In other words... In Paul's mind, he was at the height of his spirituality. And in God's eyes, he was at the height of his sin. Isn't that scary? That it is possible to be a religious zealot and not know God? If that is true, then it's certainly possible to be a lukewarm professing Christian and not know God. There's a lesson in this for us all, but there's also hope for us all in this, that whether you're an unconverted zealot or a lukewarm professor or anywhere in between, when you have a vision of Christ, 
you will be saved and you will be changed. It's the grace of God. God met Paul in his grace on that road to Damascus. And it changed him. And it can change you too. I pray this morning, I don't know, maybe there's someone in here. Maybe, maybe for the first time this morning you will see this man named Jesus Christ who is alive and well today as he was 2,000 years ago. And when you see him, you will be changed. And there's another thing we can learn from Paul's conversion as well. And this is an important one. And that is that sincerity does not equal correctness. Sincerity does not equal correctness. Again, we live in an age where when it comes to matters of belief and religion, people say, well, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me, what's true for me. And how can you question someone else's sincerity? I don't question anyone else's sincerity. But a wrong belief, no matter how sincerely held, is still wrong. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Now, this is always the case. When I was in kindergarten, I sincerely believed that there was a chair there because I saw it, and I was going to sit down, and that chair was going to hold me up. I sincerely believed that. And then I turned around to go sit in the chair, and one of the other kids snatches the chair out from behind me, and I plop down on the floor, and everyone laughs at me. And, and, you know, and obviously 24 years later, I'm not holding a grudge about it or anything. But, um, but I mean, you just remember stuff like that sometimes. And, um, but, but what's the point? A non-existent chair won't hold you up. A false belief will not save you regardless of how sincere you are. In fact, it is a, a great, one of the great tragedies of the world that so many people are indeed sincerely wrong. Paul, Paul, if Paul was standing here before you today, he would be the first one to tell you as zealous as he was for the the Jewish law and the Jewish traditions, he would be the first one to tell you, I was sincerely wrong. But then I saw the Lord Jesus Christ. And with all the zeal that he had once pursued Judaism, he now gave to an even greater degree to the the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his life. His everything, his all, because he had seen him and been changed. So how do we know that Paul's gospel is not man's gospel? First, his unlikely conversion. Second, a gracious calling. A gracious calling, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, In order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So, we've just talked about how Paul, again, 
was converted basically cold turkey. He was zealous for pharisaical traditions. There is no explanation for Paul's drastic and immediate change apart from his claim that he saw the risen Lord Jesus. And yet, think about what Paul is saying. That according to him, even, even after he was a, a persecutor and he was murdering Christians and he was chasing them around the, the Middle East to have them arrested and killed, even after that takes place, Paul can say and does say that God had a plan for him before he was born. That's what he says. He says, when he who had set me apart before I was born called me by his grace. In other words, Paul, Paul in many ways, he gives a strong echo of, of prophets in the Old Testament. For example... Uh, in Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah is writing uh, of the Messiah, essentially, and this is what the Messiah says in Isaiah 49.1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named my name. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, this is how Jeremiah describes his own calling as a prophet. He says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that as an apostle, he is saying that he did not, he didn't choose to be an apostle. God chose him. God had a plan. God set him apart from his from before his birth, to use him as an apostle to the Gentiles. That's what it says. It says, when God was pleased to reveal his son to me, why? Verse 16, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God had a plan. He said, this is what I'm going to use Paul to do. And yet, even after the life that Paul led in persecuting and murdering Christians, Paul is still able to say that Paul, God had chosen him before he was born. Now, there are many of us in this room that have pasts that we're not proud of. But let me ask you this. Is it not true? Can we not say with Paul that God knew us and chose us before we were born? even in spite of our past that we had? In other words, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it is God's divine sovereignty is a great mystery. But nevertheless, God, in his infinite and wise purposes that we can't begin to fathom, he has, he has called us and chose us in such a way that uh, that we might endure the things that we might endure, and yes, even sin in the ways that we might sin. Why? Because he will even use the sin in your life for greater good after it has taken place than would be if it had never happened. In other words, God's glory is so great that he does not just save you from your sin, 
but he is able to redeem sin itself and use it for something good. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, this is what he says. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Do you understand what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that it is precise, the reason why God has saved him, and yes, even after he's a persecutor and a murderer of Christians, he, God is able to use that past sin in his life in order to show people that anyone who comes in the future who might say, God can't forgive me, God, God knows what I've done and he'll never forgive me, God will never accept me. And Paul says, look, God saved me to show you that if he can save me, he can save anybody. And it was precisely in the midst of Paul's sin and after it that God saved him and has used the sin of Paul's past for the purpose of showing God's patience to other people who might think that they couldn't be saved. In other words, again, God doesn't just save you from your sin. He redeems sin itself in your life to use it for greater good than it would be without it. So maybe there's, maybe there's someone in this room right now, I don't know, who you have, there's something in your past and you've always wondered or you've always kind of thought in the back of your mind, though you might have never put it into words, I don't, God can't love me, God can't forgive me. The Apostle Paul would look you in the eye right now with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God can save you because he saved me. If you will look to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, in faith, and turn from your sins and embrace him, you will be saved. And maybe there are others, and maybe you have past sins and, and, and regrets in your past, and you wonder why they happen or if God could ever use them. I want to suggest to you today that, that in God's divine sovereignty, the, the sins of your past are there precisely so that you will have a ministry today. So let me ask you, think about your past. Think about the things that you've endured. Think about even, even the sins that you committed and ask yourself and ask the Lord, how has this prepared me to, and equipped me to minister to other people? I believe he'll show you. I believe he'll show you. God will redeem your sin. We know that God does this. We know that God does not just save from sin, but redeems sin itself because of the cross. 2,000 years ago, outside the gates of Jerusalem, 
sinful men crucified the sinless Son of God. And the greatest act of evil that has ever been committed simultaneously was the greatest act of righteousness that was ever performed. And through it, it brought the salvation of the world. And Paul says, (laughs) he called me by his grace. I didn't deserve it, could never deserve it, but he called me by his grace. I pray today the Lord will call somebody by his grace today. How do we know Paul's gospel is not man's gospel? An unlikely conversion, a gracious calling. Number three, briefly, an independent message. An independent message. Paul says that um, when he, uh, when God revealed uh, Christ to him, verse 16 that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I uh, go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. What is Paul saying? This, we won't have to spend a lot of time here, but what he's saying again is that when he received the original vision of Jesus Christ, what does he say? He says he didn't go see another apostle. He stayed in Damascus, and then he went, he, it says he went into Arabia which was probably the, the Nabataean kingdom, which was south of there. And then he goes back to Damascus. And then only after three years, he goes down to Jerusalem, where he sees only Peter and James and only for 15 days. What's Paul trying to say? He's saying, look, I did, when, when God saved me and called me to be an apostle to the Gentiles, I didn't see another apostle for over three years. <laughs> and when I finally did see an apostle... It was only for 15 days, hardly enough time to be taught in their ways. In other words, what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, I preach the same gospel as the apostles. We're on the same team, but look, I don't, I don't derive my authority from them. I have seen the Lord Jesus, and he has spoken to me, and that's the gospel that I give to you, a gospel of grace. And not of works. So Paul says, My gospel is not man's gospel, but I received it from Jesus Christ. So, an unlikely conversion, a gracious calling, an independent message, and finally, a compelling testimony. A compelling testimony. Verse 23 They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. When Paul finally did visit Jerusalem, over through some, we don't know for sure, but over three years after he was initially converted, he finally visited Jerusalem. He only stayed 15 days. And you know, Judea 
is the region that surrounds Jerusalem. And so he didn't hang back and hang around and get to know buddy, get buddy, buddy with all the churches. Okay? But he met the apostles, then he went back up to Syria, back north to Syria and Cilicia. They didn't know who Paul was. The churches in Judea, they didn't know who Paul was. He, just, he came and went really quickly, but they did hear something about him. They heard something about this man. They, they said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They didn't know Paul, but they heard something about him. When God changes you, People will find out about it. You know, when God, when change happens, some people like it, some people don't like it, but everybody notices. The Apostle Paul, when he was changed, he went from the Jews' favorite person to one of their worst enemies. Everywhere Paul went, the Jews tried to kill him. But the Christians, what did they do? They glorified God because of Paul. And that's the cost of discipleship, isn't it? Change costs you. But with changes also come reward, too. He lost his Jewish acclaim, but he gained eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he gained an eternal family in heaven. And Paul says, they glorified God because of me. And that's the point of it all, isn't it? We exist to glorify God. That's all Paul cared about. Paul said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. When you go to Zaxby's in a few minutes, and it will be a few minutes because I'm going to wrap up here in a minute. But when you go to Zaxby's, you give glory to God. You better give glory to God for that chicken. But whatever we do, we give glory to God. And when our life is touched by the grace and the power and the glory of God, we will be changed and people will glorify God because of us. That's why Paul existed. That's why we exist. That's why God made us and that's why God saves us. Every day, I think, every day I'm encouraged by somebody. I'm held up by somebody's prayers. And what do I do? I give glory to God. Now I want to talk to my fellow believers in Christ here, because this is important. Let's, let's let God ask us a question this morning. And the question is this. Do you manifestly live in such a way that people glorify God because of you? Now, now hear what I'm saying and, and what I'm not saying. And this is tough. It's pretty easy to live in such a way to where people will say, man, that, that Chad's a nice guy. He's a nice fella. He's a good kid. He had a good upbringing. It's easy to live like that. You don't need the Holy Spirit to live like that. But let me ask you, do you live in a way that when people see your life, they say, my goodness, who is his God? Who is their God? Do they, not do they praise you, do they praise God because of you? 
There's a difference. We can do things that make people think we're nice, but to do something that makes people think God is glorious, that's a different way of living. I want to live more like that. Don't you? We can be nice folks, but then there's a, there's a level where nice goes beyond nice, and, they, and, and people see your life, and they say, why are you doing what you're doing? And you tell them, because the grace of God has changed my priorities, has changed my way of thinking, has changed me. And they'll glorify God because of you. That's the kind of life I want to live. A life that is not just nice, but that is so radically Christ-centered that it's impossible to ignore. That people will hear about it, and they'll glorify God because of us. So how do we know that Paul's gospel is not man's gospel? An unlikely conversion, a gracious calling, an independent message, and a compelling testimony. And so I close today with a final appeal. Have you been converted this morning? However likely or unlikely, humanly speaking, it may be. Have you received the gracious calling of God? Have you believed Paul's independent message? Do you have a compelling testimony that Christ lives in you? That's the key, isn't it? We don't need the Spirit to lead a nice life, but we need the Spirit to live a changed life. And I plead with you today, not not to judge you, not as a sense of condemnation, but to say that hell is full of nice people who thought they didn't need God. And I plead with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come to him, believe in him, and be saved, and he will welcome you and change you and give you life, eternal life. Let's pray together.